Vincent the Dude. Hey, man, I am ready. It is a sunny, hot day here in Chattanooga. Hard to forget. You know what? It's also my daughter's birthday. Nine years old today. All right. Well, a couple things going on here. First, okay. congratulations to your daughter. But I got to say, you, about the weather here, we're in that yeah. part of the season where when you walk outside in the morning, it feels like you walked into your bathroom after a hot shower. It's so <laughs> humid and disgusting. This morning, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weekend, too. Yeah, it happened. That part of the year. <laughs> that happened. part of the year. Well, happy birthday to the yeah. little dudette. There Do you got a party go. planned? Uh, so we party all month long for it, a little bit here and there, but today is the main party. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you get yeah, her yeah. some presents? Oh, yeah. She's got tons of presents, but she gets one like almost every other day for like a while. Oh, we like, do like, that. Kind of like Hanukkah or something. Yeah, kind of like that. They just can't wait. They're like their mom. Their mom can't wait either. Yeah. She can't wait either. <laughs> well, I mean, her. look, presents, birthdays, all about the presentation, buying products, all about the presentation. Today is a show I'm excited about because we're going to be talking to... The queen of packaging, Sarah Scooter, right? She's oh. the president CRO at Real Sourcing Network, LLC. She go. knows all about good and bad packaging. If you follow her on LinkedIn, you've seen many of her posts where she uh, tears apart. And, you know, she also builds up the good packaging. Oh, good. But she tears apart the, the bad one. Sustainability, e-commerce, big issues. And also, you know, we'll talk to her about the... Uh, the cognitive dissonance that a lot of us have where you want to have sustainability, but at the same time, people are buying record amounts of e-commerce and not making that connect between the environmental impacts. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. The desire is uh, far outpacing the uh, developments in I would say it the is. Environment. Yeah. Uh, it, it's one of those things where I think everyone's like, you know what? I'm buying online. We're waiting for someone else to fix it. Yep. I wonder if that mentality changes in 10 years, like how people think of plastic uses and stuff. They start seeing shipping. Their own personal responsibility with shipping is coming to the forefront, and, and we'll be looking back on this time as being a little bit of the dark ages, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either because there's pressure on both sides, right? You're being bombarded as a consumer all the time. you got to be thinking about that stuff. But there's also people moving things forward on the other end with the producers of these packaging and uh, these goods saying, you've got to pay for the end of life before you even ship this stuff. You know, good so. packaging is money, too. You know, you look at yep. the presentation that a company like Apple has on there. It feels high quality, even though you know you're replacing it in two years. Yeah. It's an experience. And you know, so many companies have ripped off Apple just because of that. But, hey, yeah. here's a package for you. Let's tip the band. This episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since the year 2007. To learn more, tell them, dude. Oh, man, go to newlegendinc.com immediately after the show. Headlines. Okay, speaking of sustainability, UPS has set its sights on 30% sustainable, sustainable aviation fuel by 2035. 2035 becoming a very important year in sustainability. It's the one that everyone seems to be quoting lately, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it really does. 2035 is going to be <laughs> I don't know. We'll be in a whole new universe in 2035. <laughs> Alyssa Sporier, she reports that UPS Inc., like many shipping and delivery companies, has a goal to reach net zero emissions by 2050, including Scope 1, Scope 2, and Scope 3 emissions. At an investor and analyst conference Wednesday, UPS shared some medium-term environmental, social, and governance goals for 2035 that will move the company closer to net zero emissions. And when you hear that term, environmental, social, and governance goals, you're going to be hearing about more and more companies talking about this. Not less. It's not, it's not going away. Oh, no, it's, it's definitely not. Consumers, uh, new recruits, and investors alike, and stakeholders, shareholders, they want yeah. that. UPS will reduce CO2 emissions by 50% per package delivered for global small package operations by 2035 using 2020 as the base year. So 
50% from this year. As demands for e-commerce and home delivery continue to rise, emissions per package can be a useful metric. I agree. All UPS facilities will be powered by renewable These are electricity. numbers. These are the three steps. Yes, these are. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, that was number one. These are the three that they talked scope one, two, and three, I guess. All UPS, number two, all UPS uh, facilities will be powered by renewable electricity by 2035. And three, sustainable aviation fuel will account for 30% of fuel used for the company's global air fleet by 2035. Yeah, Carol Tomei, their chief executive officer uh, at UPS, she said in the release that we are creating a new UPS rooted in the values of the company. Our strategic priorities are evolving to reflect the changing need of our customers and our business and what matters most to our stakeholders. And again, it's it's that that governance and that compliance Absolutely. with sustainability is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. These 2035 goals were announced the same day Tomei said UPS is considering launching outsourced same-day delivery initiatives. This move has potential to fill uh, a hole in the company's offerings, and they're going to find, too, they're going to encounter their own sustainability issues with those same-day delivery initiatives. So they're going to have to have all of these things aligned. Now, here's an next story. FedEx Freight prunes 1,400 customers to protect service levels. And this should concern some of you out there if you're uh, yeah. amongst the 1,400. But FedEx right now is like, look, we got to protect our good customers. we got to protect our core and our base customers. That mm. This environment is getting that bad. So Eric Kulich reports, FedEx Freight is immediately cutting service to about 1,400 less-than-truckload customers, affecting thousands of locations in an effort to reduce terminal bottlenecks and shipping delays as unprecedented amounts of tonnage pour into the sector. This is terrible news if you're on the outs there. <laughs> yeah, it really the, is. The heavy trucking division of FedEx Corp began notifying select manufacturers, retail and logistics companies only on Friday that will stop picking up goods today, leaving them virtually no time uh, to make alternative shipping arrangements. So, first of all, all you guys out there, if you're working one of these places impacted, I feel for you. Nobody walks in. Nobody wants to walk in on a Monday for this news. Um, other LTL carriers are also operating at maximum capacity, so it's not going to be that easy to reroute this stuff either. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dooner, what are you doing this week? Well, I don't know, because starting June 14th, 2020, 2021, until further notice, FedEx Freight will begin implementing customer-specific actions to control capacity and avoid backlogs in the most capacity-constrained freight service centers, the company told Travidia Health and Medical Devices Manufacturers in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, in a suspension notice that was obtained by Freightway. So, Friday, you're going home, and it says, you know, June 14th. Oh, well. Yeah. Wait a minute, that's Monday. It's Monday. Oh my gosh. Yeah, a top executive and consultant with years of LTL experience speaking on a condition of anonymity told FreightWaves that FedEx Freight is suspending outbound shipping to thousands of facilities operated by 1,400 customers in regions experiencing the most congestion. Yeah. It's crazy. I wonder if they're going over non-contract at first. Like, you, you know, like I would think they would. Loyal, you yeah. you want to, if you're doing it right, you want to protect your base. Your now, loyal base, yeah. The debate here is, is it the, the, I mean, nobody knows their network better than FedEx does, but no. is this the right move? It seems like these, these decisions are not made lightly. No, it's a heck of a thing to just say, hey, you know what? Over the weekend, you got to find somebody else to ship your stuff. That is not a decision you just made with a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. It's I would immediate think. and decisive. Immediate, decisive, and man, unbelievable, right? Hey, going up to Canada, guess what? Their ELD <clears throat> mandate is now in effect, kind of. They're, you know, they're being kind of soft with it <laughs> well, here. Well, it's Canada. They're very polite. Yes. 
the replay. But here's the interesting part of the story. So we'll get to it. Nate Tabak here, of course, said Canada's mandate for commercial vehicles to use ELDs. That took effect on Saturday, much like how it happened here, though. There's, you're not going to get in trouble. There's, there's no enforcement at the moment, <laughs> right? It's just get them in there, be prepared. Yeah. Within a year or two, it will. It's, a, it's missing two key pieces, though, right? Meaningful enforcement and a list of approved ELDs certified for use in the country. Now, tell them why that's important. Yeah, the result is a, is a peculiar set of circumstances. Any commercial trucks regulated by the federal government, including those from the U.S., technically aren't abiding by this mandate, but they can't, right? Yeah. And it's also a moot point since penalties for noncompliance won't begin until June 2022. The big difference is that certification, right? It is because we don't require that here in the United States. The companies self-certify. They self-certify, yeah. That's come up in some of these these nuclear verdicts. Oh, you self-certified. Yeah. And then we, it was found out that some companies uh, – they allowed tr- companies that they work with, carriers, to yeah. alter data within there. Sure. Um, and this story came up. I think we touched on it. We were talking about that nuclear verdict in New Hampshire with the the the, the guys on the uh, the motorcycles. They got run over. Like seven or nine of them died. Yeah, they did, and they they misquoted something. We're going after one of the ELD providers. Yeah, the ELD, he said, "Wait a minute, had, you're going after the wrong thing." Yeah, they had. Well, I think it was actually an AO, AOBRD. So it was a weird story. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, They were yeah. blaming it on ELDs, and but it brought up this whole compliance thing. And in Canada now, you have to have this sort of certified by a third-party company, right. which you don't have to in the United States, and none of the ELDs are certified yet, so that's what they mean by, even if you wanted to, you couldn't even comply right now. No, yeah, you couldn't do anything, because nobody's, there is no third, third-party third certification. Weird. There isn't any, so like we'll see what happens. I'd like to see that in the U.S., though. I'd like to see that. It should be a third-party certification. Safety, then, if it's, yeah. then do things in the name of safety. Yeah, exactly. Not in the name of, like, lip service. All yeah, right. Hey, we got a great guest today. So we've been doing this summer of weird freight or this spring of weird freight. And today is no different. <laughs> We're going to be talking about moving big, heavy duty freight, plus moving stuff like artwork. We'll be talking about packaging and all those things. Yeah. And our first guest is Chandler Magan. He's the founder and president at Next Exit Logistics. Let's bring him up to the stage. Hey, Chandler, what's up, dude? Good morning. How are you guys this morning? I'm glad yeah. to be here. We are doing uh, we are doing great. And, you know, we were doing a little research, Chandler. Michael Vincent found out something about your company. Ask him that question that you had. Well, yeah, no, well uh, I just was interested looking at your posts. What was this name that you felt the urge that you needed to change because it was such a bad name for the company when you first started out? <laughs> oh, that's actually a great question. So um, when we opened, we kind of had the uh, lemonade stand mentality, like, kind of figuring things out as you go. It's like, I can't believe I have customers coming back the next day for more uh, lemonade, but uh, um, we called it McGann, Texas. Well, nobody could pronounce McGann. Uh, people didn't think we did business outside of Texas. And then it didn't tell you if we were a CPA firm, a law firm, plumbers, or trucking <laughs> logistics company. So yeah. I was like, we've got to get rid of this name. But uh, that was part of the learning curve of uh, starting out in the beginning. That that's hilarious. So you started out in your in your in an extra bedroom though, right? So McGann, Texas yes. started out in a bedroom. Tell us about that journey growing to what you're doing now. So um, my uh, father had a flatbed company over in South Carolina, and I was in Texas. And um, actually, my background is uh, luxury uh, car sales. And I was at the Lexus dealership, and he said, "Hey, are you interested in the uh, uh, flatbed trucking market?" And I said, "No way." I said, "He goes, why?" I said, "Because." Every time you came home from work as a kid, I would hear all the bad stories about drivers quitting and trucks breaking down. And I didn't want anything to do with that. And he said, it's changed now. And so um, I uh, decided to start freight brokering out of the uh, extra bedroom of a house. And it just kind of kept growing and growing. And in fact, this past Saturday, we just moved into our third uh, large location here in the west side of downtown Dallas. We just moved uh, yesterday. Hey. 
Congratulations. Nice. Love awesome. to hear the growth. Love to hear the expansion, especially since so many, like Chandler, you're one of those guys that I met last year and so many of us were going through the pandemic and, you know, mm. we all wish each other well. We'd come out on the other side and it's great to see so many of these partners that we talked to during that time end up doing well and they're growing and expanding. And for you guys, it's really interesting because you don't just ship boring. They also ship uh, impossibly heavy haul shipments, which is um, it can be a tough space, right? If you're a traditional broker, a lot of this project, freight, this kind of stuff, you can not move. Chandler, what made you decide to key in on this segment? I wanted to figure out something that couldn't be, sorry for the pun, but it could be Uberized. Could you, could you write this down on five little spaces on your cell phone to get a quote on it? And if you could, that wasn't for me. Um, so I wanted to do something that was more intricate, more planning, more hands-on involved. Nice. So well, how did how did you how how'd you do that? I mean, I I, I love that because it's yeah. it's to me the my thirty four or whatever thirty three years in freight was it's a constant new puzzle every single day, right? Yeah. So you like the extreme of that, right? How do you go from shipping something small to big to to just incredibly huge? So it actually evolved from the the uh, carrier. So we would start with uh, legal flatbed shipments, and then the carriers would push on us and say. Um, hey, do you have anything for a step deck? And then we're like, yeah, we can do that. And then once we start finding that, then we find legal RGN freight. And then it's it just keeps growing and growing and evolving. So then you move from five axle RGN freight to seven, then to 10, then to 13. Uh, and then we find uh, traditionally that anybody who's moving something over about 150,000 pounds or 13 axles, the uh, shippers actually already know who that carrier base already is. Mm. Well, we were just, there was a video that just started playing. Let's talk about this thing. This is one of the biggest shipments you've ever done. It's a hundred and, what is it, a hundred ton Manitowoc crane that you moved in an ice storm, ice storm Kronos in Houston, Texas. Um, this looks very involved, this type of project. And to make it even, to add to a degree of difficulty, you suddenly have a snowstorm in Houston, Texas. Tell us about this. <laughs> yeah, so this is a, uh, uh, Million dollar crane is brand new, and uh, the shipper reached out to us and said, "Hey, this is uh, picked up, and we we need it for a project." And uh, the dealer, uh, the dealer uh, vendors that they had in place weren't able to meet the timelines um, that they had uh, to make the transit times. Uh, ironically, the crane had been sitting there for a while, so it even had a dead battery. So one of our biggest delays is the service truck from Manitowoc had to drive through the ice storm to go find another battery to get that crawler component of it started up. But uh, we, our team did a great job and had all the trucks uh, booked, pre-booked and ready to load in the morning so that the trucks were in at the shipper site during the ice storm, it, which closed down all the schools in the area. So, because we were worried about safety for our, our uh, underlying carriers, but because they all were already there at the shipper, everything worked out really well. Uh, for a safe arrival to the shipper. And we loaded in the middle of the uh, ice storm. So we had to be careful because the trailer decks were slippery when the uh, drivers were walking uh, across the decks and, and sliding chains around. But um, just after lunchtime, it started to thaw out and it got a little bit safer to, to uh, travel uh, on the roads. And by that time, we had the crane started and everything else was loaded up. Wow. And you, I think at the beginning of that, it said only a five-day lead time. Yes. And what's interesting is after we got the crawler crane loaded because the legal shipments already arrived, uh, it got caught up in a whole nother ice storm inbound that closed the school districts in Norfolk. And that was an escorted shipment. So the escort actually went with the driver to scout out a uh, 
some road sections that weren't iced over so they could make a uh, safe delivery. And one of the interesting things about that is they had to uh, wash the uh, entire crane when it got to the destination because of all the road, road salt to melt the roads had gotten over the crane and a crawler crane usually doesn't drive around on icy roads where it kicks it back up. So they give it a bath at the, uh, at the arrival. He also sent us a picture of this Surf Pro. Let's take a look at it. You can kind of tell us uh, what went into some of these shipments too that you sent us. So what's going on here? Oh, so yeah. we had another, one nice storm to another. So uh, <laughs> wow. Surf Pro, Pro de- deployed towards Texas for our uh, giant ice storm that took down our electrical grid and uh, made our, made our um, state you know, paralyzed for a whole week. And uh, Surf Pro from out of state deployed in with all of their equipment to assist because so many buildings, schools, hospitals, um, apartment complexes had busted water pipes. The pipes froze and when it thawed out, they, they cracked and caused tremendous flooding. So Surf Pro brought in uh, uh, generators, uh, their vehicles, and um, some of their personnel, uh, personal vehicles. And they needed a turnkey solution for when they were taking all their equipment back to origin. And some of the things we've done in these photos, they'd never done before. So they would typically move one or two generators on a trailer or one by itself or tow it. And we said some of our other clients utilize crane service. And so we actually crane loaded all these generators on a truck. So we were able to move four of their generators on one truck instead of using four trucks. So we were able to save a lot of money. Uh, And then they had their uh, service vehicles that needed to go back as well. Instead of putting them on a flatbed, we used the auto transporter to carry more and be more efficient with the space. And they really liked the solution. And this is not something they had done before uh, utilizing the service. But our our other clients have trusted us with this, and we showed them some photos. And photos are very important to help describe what we're trying to uh, achieve with the move because it helps the uh, shipper understand what we've done before with other clients, right? So they're not the guinea pig. It gives them a lot of comfort and reassurance. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of photos, right? Let's go to this. What is this? The uh, National Guard. I guess it's a, a tank. Can we, we, can we, can we look at that? Oh, we got a video of yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Sorry about that. Yeah, there we are. Yeah, what's going on here? So, yeah, Dooner challenged me. He said, what's the weirdest thing you ever shipped? And right here on the right-hand side is a folding scissor-type bridge. Just Ooh. to the left coming our way is the uh, – it's a M60A1 tank or a, um, a bridge launcher. And over here, we're loading a tank retriever. So that's like a, when a tank brings down in the middle of a field, you'll send that in. That's like the tank tow truck to pull another tank out. Wow. and bring it back to uh, safety or bring it back in for a pair. But that first component was a folding scissor bridge. So you can put it in a place where you need to get a bunch of vehicles across a stream or a creek or something. You, that tank drives in and plops, unfolds this whole uh, bridge and, uh, and, and places it so all the vehicles can travel across. So it's compo- composed of steel and aluminum and, and it's, got some nice width to it so it can drive tracked or rubber tired vehicles across that bridge to get across a creek or a stream or whether someone tore, tore out a bridge or broke a bridge you know i was just thinking they should use this on that uh, bridge from arkansas on yeah, i-40 they should exactly. put it up on there <laughs> that's right <laughs> just put the where's the cannon for that bridge launcher 
Yeah. Chandler, awesome stuff. Hey, thank you for sharing us a little bit about what goes on over at Next Exit. For people who have some Project Freight, they got some big stuff, they have no idea who's going to move it or they need a new partner, where should we send them to? NextExitLogistics.com. Please give us a call. Um, our phone number is on the site, and we'd love to see you on uh, LinkedIn as well. Uh, so just look up uh, NextExitLogistics.com, and we're out of Dallas-Fort Worth. We're uh, proud to have been a part of your show this morning. Really appreciate Excellent. the invite. And hey, Chandler. Happy to see how well you guys are doing. Yeah, he's not Ch- going to let you go Chandler, yet. before you go, I can't let you go. I got oh. to spin the wheel of stupid questions okay. first. Bro. Spin the wheel, make oh. the deal. <laughs> Where will this land? All right. All, All right. right. What reality show competition do you think you could actually win? The Bachelor? Um, wow, that is a good question. Um, what about press your luck when you have to push the thing and the weenies go all yeah, across the no whammies. Uh, are you talking about a reality show or a game show? Either one. Hey, you can Either pick one. whichever one you well, want. You've you got press your luck. All right. No whammies. No what whammies. No whammies. No whammies. I think I could win <laughs> yeah, Survivor stop. as long as I didn't have to stay outside. Yeah, I think he could win Survivor. He's got, he's got bridge launchers and all that kind of, of stuff. Of course. Dude. Can you bring yeah. that stuff with you? Yeah. Chandler, thank you so much for joining us today. Fire me because uh, I might be out smarter than they'll figure it out, and I'll be gone. I'd be like one of the first three or four I've done. Out, survive. Yeah. Maybe out. He wouldn't even make the jury. <laughs> thank go. you so much for joining us, Chandler. We appreciate it. Yeah, they would see him as a threat immediately. Look at immediately, he's right. Yeah, I mean, and he's not hiding that fact that he is a threat. <laughs> hey, you know who's threatened by bad packaging, or bad packaging is threatened by her. I do. It's Sarah Scooter. She's president and CRO at Real Sourcing Network LLC. She has one of my favorite LinkedIn accounts where she. Um, brutally attacks uh, some bad packaging out there, but also builds up the good packaging. And that's what I like about her. Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me and happy Monday. (laughs) Yeah, it depends on uh, where you are. If you're one of those 1,400 FedEx customers who just got your LTL kicked off, they may be a little bit sad. But Sarah, (laughs) first of all, introduce yourself a little bit to our audience if they're not familiar with you. Yeah, so I have spent my career in marketing and joined a startup um, about three years ago that is doing some really cool and innovative things with print and packaging. And in the last year or so, we've really made a big pivot and focus on sustainable packaging. So helping companies pivot and look at their existing packaging programs and see what they can do to make their packaging more sustainable. And the pandemic has really accelerated this. I know me personally, I am getting so many Amazon and packages at my house every week because I'm not going into stores. And you see the waste build up. And I myself have become really, really conscious of it. And I think a lot of other consumers have as well. And you'll see a lot of people posting on social media tagging companies and really saying, this is super wasteful. We need to pivot and shift and, and do better for the environment. So Sarah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. It, uh, packaging is one of those things, unless you really get into it and think of it, you don't really notice how important it really is for yeah. not only the shipment, but the environment and marketing and all that other kind of stuff, right? The consumer experience. What is it? Was it the sustainability that really drove you or have you always been interested in a packaging in those aspects that, that make it really interesting once you start to get in it? Yeah. Yeah, so I think for me, what attracted me and my team to packaging is how important it is to the marketing and sales process. Packaging makes or breaks a product in a lot of cases, and bad packaging 
if you have bad packaging, a lot of time your product won't sell. And if you have great packaging, it can even sell a bad product. So it's really, really important from a branding perspective. And once I became involved in packaging from that aspect, then I started to see how much waste was being generated, getting, you know, a, a little makeup piece in a refrigerator size box. And you've got, you know, mm-hmm. three miles of bubble wrap inside a box where it's completely unnecessary. So I, I actually became kind of upset and didn't understand why companies were being so wasteful, which drove me to say, I think I can help. I think we can do better as a society. Yeah, I was reading an article in Vox this morning, actually, as I was prepping for the show, and there was a, there was a recent study by Oshina in there, and they found that Amazon generated 485 million pounds of plastic packaging waste in 2019. The number of air pillows alone, it said, could circle the globe 500 times. But you know what? People are visual, so let's take a look at some of these examples of bad packaging. We'll talk mm-hmm. through them, and you can tell. Well, there, I, there's that makeup example you were talking about, right? And there's that, that so bubble wrap that go around on the moon 500 times. This is actually a battery. So this oh, is wow. not the makeup example. So if you'll see on the right that l- the little two round things are actually a battery. And then you'll see the massive size box and then the air packets. And one of the things that I, I think is really important for companies to think about is right sizing your packaging. And what that means is come up with packaging that actually fits the size of the products And this is an example of just completely wasteful, unnecessary packaging. That is unbelievable. We have another picture. Let's let's move on to the next picture. There you go. This now this one is very, very interesting. Not only is the packaging bad, but the math is horrible. (laughs) Yeah, we're trying to match up the the cost with the weight on there and trying to figure out if this was even like economical in any any way. It's definitely not appetizing. I don't think it's good marketing. I I mean, it does showcase the peanut butter relatively well, but I would say that tray, like you typically see blood and things on trays like that. What's going on here, Sarah? (laughs) So this is one of probably the most disgusting displays of food I have personally seen. I'm a big peanut butter lover, but after seeing this, I question if I want to continue eating it. So what this grocery store has done, or this market, is they somehow, whether this is homemade or they're pulling it out of larger bottles, decided to put peanut butter on meat trays. Those are actual styrofoam meat trays. And then what they did is they took plastic and wrapped it around the peanut butter and the meat tray to conceal it. And there's so many things wrong with this, but the first is the branding aspect. It looks absolutely disgusting. In my mind, you're going to hinder sales because of how gross the peanut butter actually looks. And then I think does somebody really want to have peanut butter served to them in a meat tray? Then you look at all the waste. So styrofoam is one of the most wasteful types of packaging. When it lands up, when it, when it lands up in a landfill, it takes over a thousand years to actually disintegrate and get rid of styrofoam. Then you've got the plastic piece, which is also very wasteful and not reusable. And then you look at 
the storage aspect of this. So yeah. if either of you brought this home and you put it in your fridge, what are you going to do after you take the plastic off? How are you yeah. actually going to store it? Well, in defense of that, it's only a quarter pound. It's not making it to storage <laughs> in, I guess in so. my house. I guess so. <laughs> you know, packaging and, and being appetizing and marketing, as, as Michael Vincent mentioned, so many of this stuff goes into it. Our next example here, good because it seems like it's recycled, but bad because you said that. Uh, what is the problem with this when a lunch came inside of it? Yeah, so this is a, a friend of mine in Florida sent this to me. And from one aspect, like you mentioned, it's it's good in that there's a recyclable component to this. So this can actually be recycled. But the challenge with this is the branding. So this is actually a local company that you can buy fresh seafood from and you buy the, the, the food served ready for dinner. So you actually open up the box and you've got your dinner ready to go. Well, the problem is the box doesn't match what's inside. So if I were looking at this, I would think I'm getting frozen chicken parts when it's actually fresh fish. So huge <laughs> problem from a branding perspective. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and, well, yeah, and yeah. consumer confusion Chicken right off the bat. <laughs> I mean, even if it said something good, even if it said, you know, jelly beans, but was, you know, jelly logs or something, <laughs> it would still be confusing to the to the consumer. <laughs> then the next example we have here is uh, what's going on in the deli here? They're Now they're wrapping bananas what up, is too, that? putting them on trays. Yeah, this so so I definitely like to call out bad packaging in a lot of my social media because I think it's so great to have visual visuals. And one of the most wasteful parts of the industry is actually food service and how wasteful markets and grocery stores are and how they package their food. And to me, this is just an absolutely outrageous example because bananas are already protected. They have their own core. They have their own shell. First of all, who wants to buy one banana, right? You typically buy, you know, three or four or five bundled together. Yeah. And then again, this is going on a tray, which is styrofoam, and then it's wrapped in plastic. So just extreme and excessive waste for something that is completely fine being on its own on a shelf. And this just goes to show how much room we have for improvement in food service. Speaking of food service, okay. now this one is seems like it would be really, really annoying. You got uh, jelly beans that are each individually wrapped. What? Come on, that's made up. So this is five <laughs> pounds of, um, so somebody ordered sugar-free jelly bellies with FYI, those can wind you up in the hospital. You have to be very, very careful. There's chemicals that can cause serious stomach and digestion issues. So oh, yeah. somebody okay. ordered five pounds of sugar-free jelly bellies. This is a picture of their order and they were individually wrapped. So again, just completely unnecessary wasteful packaging. And the other piece of this we need to look at too is the cost. So a lot of times companies think that if they have to shift to sustainable packaging, it's going to have a significant impact on the expense and how much they're paying. And actually, sometimes it can save you money. So by reassessing and looking at your packaging, right-sizing your packaging, in the case of the Jelly Belly example, if they actually just bundled everything in a bag, it would actually be cheaper than, cheaper than what they're doing. So you can actually save money by pivoting to sustainable packaging. 
So, Michael, I think are they wrapping these up though, so people don't go crazy, just like shoveling handfuls in their their mouth of these? Because you know, there the, the, used to oh, be this yeah, challenge yeah. online, the Hair Bio Challenge, and it was by the sugar free gummy bears off Amazon, and they are known to give you um, explosive stomach issues. The the sugar in there, your body can't digest yeah. this stuff. Oh, is that right? Yeah, you you can't. So you eat it, and then it has to go somewhere. Oh, and usually it has to go there quickly. I got uh, I, <laughs> so, so, so limiting how much people eat, I think, is definitely a, a lot logical explanation. If they're going in like a jelly belly type machine, maybe from a COVID perspective, if they're concerned about people, you know, touching all the jelly bellies, again, I think completely unnecessary and wasteful. But if we think about what's the rationale, it, it may be some sort of sanitation prevention or, or effort as well. Maybe the type of person they would just put, they wouldn't even unwrap them. Maybe. Just, yeah. yeah. Just but she brings up a good point with yeah. that. And I don't want to, we can get to some more yeah. pictures, but the the point that she, that I, I think is kind of implied there is don't we as consumers have a responsibility for this? Aren't our actions and our desires driving some of this waste? So it's a, a huge movement right now, as I mentioned, with so many of us pivoting our buying habits and purchasing so much more online than instead of going into brick and mortar, companies are having to really spe spend time and resources to develop packaging programs to get the product to the consumer. And we are absolutely seeing consumers demand that companies focus on and look at more sustainable packaging options. And a great way to do that is social media. If you get a massive Amazon box with your bubble wrap, with you know all these different types of materials that are completely unnecessary, take a picture, post it on Twitter, post it on Facebook, toast it, post it on Insta, tag the company and talk about it. And then the other way is to speak with our wallets. And one of the things that I've done personally is I am consciously making purchases from companies that are focused on sustainability. And so mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples of companies that I think are really focused on this. One of my favorite is called Prana. They are a clothing company and a, a big mission and core of their entire company, all the products they make, the like, materials wait, like they the use. Like the stuff the devil wears? That Prana? Prana, P-R-A-N-A. Oh, gotcha. Prana. And what they do is they have committed to eliminating plastic from all of their packaging. And when you order um, apparel from them, you'll actually not get it in a box. It comes in a recyclable bag. And I think that's a really interesting pivot for companies mm -hmm. to look at is we don't need to ship everything in boxes. We have envelopes, we have bags, we have other options. And then what I really like is on their bags, they have printed what to do with the bag after you take out the product. So one of the challenges for us as consumers is what do you do with the packaging once you've pulled your items out of it? For instance, if it's a pizza box, can you recycle a pizza box if there's cheese melted on it? After you eat your hummus, if there's food left on it, can we even put it in the recycling? So Piranha clearly prints on the bag what you can do with the bag after you pull your items out of it. And I think that's a big win because consumers need to have clear instructions. Yeah, education the other is example, key. Yep. The other example is Ikea. 
So they are a massive consumer of styrofoam globally, and styrofoam is extremely wasteful. It can last for over a thousand years in our landfill. So they have committed to eliminating styrofoam from all of their packaging, and they're rolling out the program right now. And they're using a new material to replace styrofoam that's made out of mushrooms. It's manufactured mm. in Troy, New York. And Dell and a few other companies are starting to test this out as well for replacement styrofoam. And what you're supposed to be able to do, and I'm saying this because I haven't personally tested it yet. I'm in California. It hasn't rolled out here yet. And as soon as it does, I'm going to purchase some things so I can actually test it. But after you remove your furniture or product from their packaging, you're supposed to be able to take this material put it in your garden and it's supposed to completely biodegrade in three weeks. Nice. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah That's very a, cool. A nice mushroom plot. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I saw they were building houses out of bricks out of this out of this type of substance, out of out of mushroom. I forget what they call it. Well, but, yeah. she mentioned some good examples. Let's look at a couple of good examples that yeah. you sent us as well. Let's take, yeah. let's take a look at the first one here. Um, okay, that's great. So I was telling you a little bit about what you can actually do. This is a big confusion. You brought this up, but a lot of people don't even know yeah. what they can and cannot separate into mm -hmm. their, their blue bin, right? So one, so as a brand, it's really important to think about, even if you've made the investment to pivot to sustainable packaging, which is awesome, it still isn't super helpful unless the consumer takes action and actually disposes of the packaging correctly. Right. So this is an example. My friend sent this to me last week. Uh, this is a company that he orders his dog food from. And I love this messaging. It's clear. It's funny. And it, it, it lets you know that once you've removed your pet products from this box, you can actually put it in your recycling. Very good. I tend to put that stuff in there anyway, but I know that's not always right. Uh, we have an example of a bag, so you can kind of get away from You're still using paper, but you can get away from the uh, the boxes. Yeah. And, and what's going on with so this this is, the, this is the company that I mentioned. This is Prana. Um, this oh, okay. is a, a, a package I ordered a couple months ago, and they use bags instead of boxes. It's made of 100% recycled fiber. And on the back, on the bottom, it tells you that you can reuse the bag after you've pulled the product out. So they're hoping that people will continue to use the bag before they actually recycle it. Now, there used to be an, a PSA, Michael Vincent, in the late 80s when I was a, a little kid about cutting the... Maybe it was G.I. Joe who said it. I don't remember. Maybe it was in a cartoon. But they would tell you to cut the, the rings on the... On your six pack, so oh, that yeah. animals, you know, fish yeah, they'll and choke don't and get... stuff like that. Birds, yeah. yeah. Well, here's a solution to that. We have another good packaging yeah. example here. Tell us about this one. Yeah, so this one is actually really awesome. This is a brewery in Florida, and one of the things that they realized is how many fish and marine life are killed every year because of the packs that go on the top of six packs of beer. Mm -hmm. And so they partnered with a company to develop this new um, six pack ring holder, and it actually is edible. So if it get, winds up in the ocean and a fish eats it or wildlife eats it, it actually is safe. Now, it's not something you want to just start feeding to animals as food, oh. but if they do happen to get it in their stomachs or in their bodies, it's completely safe. Gotcha. So, I thought you could just start munching though? on it while you're drinking your yeah, beer. Make I make it out of like pretzels. a nacho flavor in case Michael yeah. Vincent forgets his chips at the there packing. There you go. You, know? you, you got guys, your beer and you your chips. You should have a packaging show where you eat packaging. 
Yeah, Ooh, that's exactly geez. right. I as long it. as you keep it clean, right? <laughs> um, there's an example of a pilot. So there's a pilot program that Burger King is doing. Now, when you talk about recycled and food, people get a little bit, you know, yes. weirded out. But what is going on with this Burger King packaging? Yeah, so this is a program that's also a lot happening in Florida, it seems. They're rolling out a pilot right now in several of their Florida stores for reusable fast food packaging. So Burger King as a brand has really started to embrace sustainability. It's become a big part of their messaging, a big part of their marketing. So they're testing out these two items and a couple others that are actually washable and reusable. So the goal is that you'll be able to bring your um, packaging back to be able to use it as you reorder food or if Burger King gets the packaging back from another customer, they will be able to clean it and then reuse it. So, of course, the question here becomes sanitation. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're probably thinking, well, ooh, that's kind of gross. How do I know it's going to be clean? How do I know it's going to be safe? And I'm assuming what they're going to be doing is they've made, they've developed the material so it can actually run in dishwashers. So they'll be able to put it in with all the other silverware and everything else they wash uh, which will then make it safe so they can reuse it for other food items. Beautiful stuff. Very, 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 very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. I love it. Should we go to a wheel of stupid sure, questions? Yeah. yeah, time for one question. Let's get, yeah, let's get the, All right, uh, spin around, the really hard stuff Hurry going here. Hurry up. Time's a waste. Here we go. Sir. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're of stupid. If you had your very own Sarah Scudder action figure, what three accessories would come with it? A cape. Ooh, a cape. Okay. Boots. Boots. And a laptop. And a laptop. In sustainable, recyclable, reusable packaging, of course. Absolutely. And my cape and boots would be made out of sustainable materials. Oh, I love it. Excellent. Love now it. I have to ask for I asked to ask for my daughter. My daughter's birthday's today, oh, sure. right? So when you get the dolls, can you do something about the packaging of dolls so that it doesn't take an hour and a half to remove them like you're you're, you're unpackaging gold bullion or something? <laughs> I mean, so it's, interesting that you, it's interesting that you say that. So a post I did a few weeks ago is these LOL dolls. I personally have never purchased them, but they the packaging literally takes 30 minutes to unwrap and get the actual dolls and products out oh, of yeah. the packaging. And when you look at the mound of packaging next to the little tiny dolls, it's kind of outrageous and wasteful. So I think that's another great example of a company, an industry that should really look at how can they make their packaging durable to still conserve and make the product safe and not break, but do much better for the environment. Amen. Wow. Hey, Amen. everyone, go follow Sarah on LinkedIn. She's a great follow. She'll keep you abreast of what's going on in the world of packaging. Hey, we appreciate your time so much today. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Take Thanks, care. Sarah. Great stuff. Again, Very important, too. Again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation company. To learn more, tell them, dude. Oh, man. Go to newlegendinc.com immediately after the show. All right. Now we got our friend Steve Title. He's the owner at Gateway OT. He's a former Air Force. Well, I guess he's an Air Force. Can't be a former Air Force veteran. He's a current Air Force veteran because <laughs> yeah, he was formerly in the Air Force. He started uh, <laughs> Gateway Crane and uh, Greatway Crate and Freight nine years ago. Um, he's done a little pivot since then. So let's bring him on. We'll find out a little bit about what he moves in his story. What's up, Stephen? Hey, how you doing? We're doing good, man. Uh, give us a, We try to give a little elevator, but tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Sure. Um, yeah, I'm Stephen Tittle. I started a Gateway Crate and Freight. I started basically as a broker, but um, wanted to uh, do more. Actually, I, I'm, I'm a physical worker. I like going out and doing things. And uh, um, so we started doing a, a lot of crating, which I had done when I, earlier in my career, a lot of crating and packaging and stuff like that. Um, got into uh, uh, more of the asset-based moving stuff, uh, taking trucks, going out, doing a final mile installs, doing first mile pickups where we pick up things that need to be packaged and shipped back to either to the manufacturer or to an end user or a customer. Um, so, yeah, we've done a little pivot uh, over the nine years, you know, starting as a broker and then going into the asset based kind of stuff. So, um, you know, was in logistics for 30 years prior to that. So been been packing and shipping and you know, I've packed airplanes, rail cars, uh, flatbeds, uh, ocean containers, uh, you name it, we've, we've put stuff in it. Is this unusual freight? Um, how do you sell? Like, I know how you sell traditional freight brokerage and stuff, but how do you go out and, and build a business like this? How do you find the clients? Well, that, that's the trick. So as a broker, um, before this, I used to haul a lot of uh, flatbed for Lowe's, right? So I ran uh, stuff from Savannah to the Benor, Tennessee facility. I had a Rolodex of thousands of flatbed uh, truckers, right? But um, I'm in I'm in Arizona and there's a lot, a lot of like artwork dealers um, in Scottsdale. There's a, a lot of fragile kind of things that come out of here. So um, I built the business model more on helping protect items in LTL freight. You know, I asked my, the, the people who work for me, you know, what do we do here? Oh, we build crates and we put things in boxes. No, that's not what we do. We protect items. Our, our job is to protect things um, mm -hmm. and get them to where they need to go. And so the whole thing, um, you know, is to is to pick up things and package it, uh, you know, correctly and and knowing the distribution model of, say, an LTL system and how it gets on and off the truck and how sometimes those guys aren't stopping when they're driving the forklift. They're going right into the pallet without any any braking and and picking it up. And how do you protect something in that kind of system? And so um, to get our customers, we just sold ourselves on the fact that we can protect their items and say an LTL system. So one of our first biggest customers, by the way, just said, Hey, listen, our stuff gets broke half the time. Uh, you know, I'm like, wow, really? And, and then I go, Hey, there's a way to use a wood packing material. There's a different way to pack it or a different way to orientate your freight in an LTL system. Um, so that it can get to your customer without breaking. And, you know, this is a company that has a warehouse and, and they pack their own stuff and ship it parcel all the time. But there are particular units that are they're a little heavier and bigger and cost more. They actually outsource to us. They're like, hey, uh, you know, package, ship it. And and we took it down to, you know, we've shipped hundreds of hundreds of those without anything breaking. So, you know, they, they like the service we provide and, and the things that we do. And, you know, at the time that I started the business, the interesting thing about transportation logistics at the time it was going through a change right i mean you were um, you were going from a class-based nmfc kind of system down to a dimensional kind of sh shipping system so you know if you're you're somebody who puts a 30 by 30 by 30 box on a 48 by 40 standard pallet um you know you're paying for that empty space and so you come to somebody like me i can make a 37 by 41 pallet uh, out of wood and and make sure that your item's protected and you're paying less for the freight. 
Yeah, density is important, and that packaging can change to actually change the class of the stuff, too. And exactly. obviously, this stuff is a lot of customized stuff. And I think we got some pictures yeah. of some things and cool stuff. A, a 737 cockpit? Stuff you, like, you can't just pull that off the rack, right? Yeah. I mean, if that comes I mean, damaged, that's going to screw up well, a flight you don't, school. you don't look up in the NMFC and say, oh, well, the proper packaging for this is X, right? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us Talk about this about one. <laughs> what are you looking at? Correct. Um yeah, that was a um, 737 cockpit that somebody bought. That's actually at the Tucson airport. Um, they bought it so they can make a simulator out of it. Um, we took it and built a, uh, you know, lag bolted base. Uh, all of our crates have a, like a palletized base to it, right? Um, I always tell people the same thing. A crate is a crate. It's a wood box, right? The structure has to be correct. You have to use the right materials, two by six, one by four, you know, one by four, two by four of the weight of what you're putting in. But it's the packaging inside that's more important. Uh, you need to make sure that that's blocked and braced. Um, you know, we metal banded that item down. We also had some two by fours that went through the windows that, um, you know, were, were attached to uh, uh, more like a cradle inside of the crate. So although mm-hmm. those pictures just show, you know, the wood box and, and the uh, and the item going in, it, it actually was more involved than that. Yeah, well, you have a salad bar, too, that was also using um, like the custom pallets, the, the block and brace. I think we have a picture of that. As well, like as you said, you can move. You're, you're moving um, a lot of just unusual goods. You got a cockpit. You got a salad bar. Uh, you've done some. Let's cycle through some of these pictures. We got the Cadillac Chrome here. Uh, put that through. That's but, cool. Let's talk about this. You know what's really cool though? Yeah, just keep cycling through those till we get to the Kiss artwork. Let's talk about the Kiss. Oh, artwork. okay. Keep moving these till we get to Kiss. Keep moving these till we get to Kiss. There, there we is. go. All right, let's down there. So I tell us about them. this. Let's, the artwork's kind of interesting. We haven't really talked about that. Yeah, we've we've done a lot of artwork we've done glass sculptures and bronze sculptures and you know stuff like that but we do a lot a lot of paintings and so the paintings have a certain type of crate uh we call it a box crate we put a lot of foam in that um this one's actually a a canvas and we just thought it was kind of cool because all the members of kiss signed this uh a radio station here in phoenix uh gave it away um to, to to a person who won it and they happened to be in the midwest so they came to us and said hey can you get this there without it something happening to it. Cause if something happens to this, you know, we don't know if we can go back to kiss and, and get their signatures again. Right. So uh, Gene Simmons uh, will charge you for sure. He will. <laughs> Gene <Exactly>. will charge <laughs> you. No doubt. And he might sue you at the same time. He may <laughs> sue you at the same time. He is a hell of an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. right. We have NASA so, yeah, on here a lot. Um, we do. We have NASA on here. I think you also have an Apollo, uh, an Apollo capsule module. You guys have moved. Yeah, they, uh, you know, a lot of our customers um, bought things at auction or their museums or, um, you know, dealers, and they come to us and say, hey, I've got this interesting piece. Can you make sure it gets to where it's going? And they're saying, hey, this was a module that flew in space, came back down, uh, you know, uh, we're sending it to, I don't, I think it was a museum, an airspace museum. Um, and, you know, we picked it up and we, we created a custom, uh, you know, packaging for it. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, um, like that wrap around it is actually called a VCI wrap, a vapor corrosion inhibitor. Uh, when you had Sarah on earlier, she talked about waste. And when you ship to Japan, like a country like Japan, they actually charge for the packaging. Uh-huh. So a challenge for somebody like us, who's a, uh, we're an IPPC certified facility, which means our crates can be exported and our packaging can be exported. But somewhere like Japan, you have to think a lot about the packaging because they actually charge you. They go in and say, hey, you got this much shrink wrap. You've got this much plastic. You've got this much wood. Here's another $250 you owe us. So 
those kinds of things, um, you know, we have to take into consideration when we ship, uh, you know, overseas or even domestically about how that packaging is going to be used. So uh, let's let's Stephen let's let's talk about drones for a little bit, right? Because you 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 guys <laughs> packaged and, and shipped some drones, but. Uh, Drone skeet drones, I guess. Target, like I keep saying, when target they use these to deliver for people. This is what people are going to do to them. That, yeah, that that's what I say. Yeah, yeah. Pe- a lot of pizzas are not going to make it to destination. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> well, yeah, about a month ago, a company came to us and said, "Hey, we we specialize in making these drones, and we have a customer. Uh, you know, I won't say the customer, but the the customer wants to buy them, and uh, they got to get there, and they have to be able to fly. They, they there can't be." an issue with these they can't be broke uh you know uh, an airline a t- tail whatever cannot be uh you know has to be packaged correctly so that it gets there so that all they do is put together and put it up in the air then what do they do with, do with it well they're going to shoot it out of the sky <laughs> okay because <laughs> um, you're spending thousands of dollars on packaging and creating for something to get somewhere safely so that they can just shoot it down <laughs> Wow. Hey, so Stephen, well, there's no challenge in shooting a drone on the ground, I guess. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Hey, Stephen, this has been a great time. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but people who want to learn more, they have uh, some KISS artwork or, or a drone to go send around. Where should I send them to? Sure. Um, go to, uh, we have two websites, gatewaycrateandfreight.com um, and gatewayot.com. So those are the sites that they can go to. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, all those places. So thank you. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Hey, thank, thanks, guys. Love Take care. Thanks, Steven. All right, man. Now time for a little big deal, little deal. Oops. Big deal. Little deal. All right. A trucker in Leeds parked his... A trucker in Leeds parked his truck under a bridge jumper on the M62 motorway, motorway to break the distressed man's fall. Big deal or little deal, dude? This is a big deal. This guy was sitting on this thing. He looked like he was going to jump, I guess, right? Yeah. And, th- and this trucker didn't just drive by going, man, that sucks. I hope somebody helps this dude. He stopped underneath him so the guy couldn't jump, right, and, and had a safe way down. So this guy's alive today for this guy and bringing awareness to it's okay to not be okay, which we talk about a lot here, mental health. You don't need to jump. Ask for some help. You know what's cool about Huge this, too? Deal. Like, look, the guy could have got up, and he could just move over to the side, as you yes. can clearly see in the picture here. But what it shows to the person who's about to jump, was that, like, the lowest point in their life, right? Some random Someone dude cares. cares. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's the gesture, and it's so big in that moment. So I think that's a, I think that's a huge deal. Absolutely. I'm with you. All right. Big deal, little day. Okay. Omnitrax announced the debut of SmartSense for an, an inattentive driving, hmm. which uses integrated cab-facing cameras and sensors to employ AI and computer vision to detect suspected sleep, drowsiness, cell phone usage, smoking, general inattention, uh, signing kiss posters, whatever it happens to be to get back to the company to alert them that something's going on. Big deal, little deal, my friend. Big deal. I mean, we talk about this driver shortage all the time. Uh, this doesn't make drivers feel comfortable. I think it, in some ways it can be distraction in its own right. Just yeah. thinking, like, just knowing that Big Brother's watching you and what is it going to trigger? Like, because I'm wearing my sunglasses, I may, I might get in trouble. Look, smoking is a big issue, but 60% of drivers smoke. Now, every time a driver lights up a butt, he's going to get tabs in this thing. I, I don't know. There's better ways to fight these things. Maybe I can understand the, the phone, but this looks like it's looking at quite a bit. I think it, I, it, yeah, I'm with you. I think it, it, it's a big deal because it really displays that, that fight. Yeah. Yin and yang fight. We need safety, but privacy 
type of thing go back and forth, right? I mean, you, 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 we, you try to tell drivers not to be afraid of automation or anything, but yeah. you continue to put invasive technology and, literally and, in their yeah. face. They keep going, here it is. Now, we're going down that slippery slope. Right? Now, granted, drivers at first, they were resistant to dash cams. Lots didn't like them. And sure. now they, so many of them love them because, you know, they get viral videos from oh, social yeah. media. But also, there's so many instances where they're like, you know what? I was just protected. There was one where, you know, you saw the awful video of the cop car who pitted that pregnant woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. There yeah. was, I saw another video where a cop car, he comes across and he hits the front end of a truck. He pitted himself. Good thing the driver had this on video, though. And yeah. I'm not saying, like, necessarily the police would have done something here, but if, do you want to be in that argument? The video protects you in that. But having a video on you, that could be subjective. It can be subjective, and we've seen that before with the tailgating instances. You don't know why that tailgating is happening, and this is one of those things, right, where it could trigger a false thing, and then you're in trouble for something that really didn't happen. Or I guess. Yeah, I, I see it. At a certain point, it gets invasive. I don't know. Yeah, they do I it to see. office workers too. I know a lot of you drivers are like, "Well, what about your office?" For a lot of office workers, they get they get you know all their keystrokes and everything are logged these days. So I don't know. It's uh, a direction I don't like to see. Let, uh, let's the the argument is a big it. deal. I think it is a big deal. All I right. A petition urging Jeff Bezos to buy and eat the Mona Lisa gains steam. Big deal or little deal? He could use Stephen Tittle's company to have this sent to him if he buys it. What, <laughs> what do you think here? Well, first of all, I think it's it's um, I, I think it's long overdue. Yes. The 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 Mona Lisa has been undigested for far too long. For far too long. <laughs> As we, somebody, some, somebody, somebody posted. I think it's awesome. I think the bigger deal is that Fox News felt that 400 signatures worldwide yes. was news. <laughs> <laughs> That's how many signatures. So, that was there was 400 signatures on this change.org petition when Fox News decides that their headline should be a petition urging Jeff Bezos to buy and eat the Mona Lisa gains steam. Yeah, well, it was it all. It was people. it was the amazing growth because it only took a year to get 400 signatures. Now it's got so 4,000. It's a skyrocketing growth. Here's what's even funnier, right? So when you go to change.org, it says we have. When I took this screenshot about uh, an hour ago, it said we have. Uh, 4,326 signatures of signs. This is after the Fox News went up, so it's yeah. gained about 4,000 signatures. What's even funnier is that right underneath this picture, it says, at 5,000 signatures, this petition is more likely to get picked up by the local news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Fox, they, they take the small stories, and then the local news at 5,000 will grab it. Okay, but let's take this seriously but, for a minute here. Do you right. think he should buy and eat the Mona Lisa? Why not? Would I, French I, sell the Mona Lisa? No, I don't think the French would sell it. Why not? Well, I mean, because it's culture, right? It's yeah. all it's culture, and they they don't need the money right now. I don't think. Maybe yeah. they do. I don't. I think. Well, everybody's got their price tag, I guess. I, I think we should get a GoFundMe. I'd like to see him eat it, and then he's going to go into space, right? Yeah. You just release the... Defecate in space, the, yeah. the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa. It'll be carbon, carbon back into the universe. Yes. Putting the Mona Lisa back. Yeah, once. return it to whence it came. If you haven't been to the Louvre in Paris, the, we were talking about this before. The, the Mona Lisa is like less than three feet yeah. by less than yeah. two feet. It's not a huge painting at all. It's like 30 by 21 or something like that. Yeah, it's not huge. And when you're standing behind people in there, it's like, uh I thought I, my over-the-top poster. So what you're saying is it wouldn't be that big of a meal. It wouldn't be it's that huge It's possible for him to eat it. Here's the thing, though. Would you get sick? Can we get a doctor on here? Like, <laughs> do they use lead paint back? We use lead paint here up until, like, the 80s or 90s. So well, I'm not sure. here, in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes, in the United States, we did. Absolutely. Right. Let's go home on something good. What do you got here? All right, all right, here we go. Here's big deal, little deal. I, I kind of know where this is going. Charlotte's legendary lobster pound in Maine. Yeah claims that hotboxing lobsters with marijuana may mitigate the pain of being boiled for oh, those lobsters, right? You think lobster. this is a big deal or a little deal? A more humane way of cooking on. Oh, there they are. Well, Check it out. Okay, so this seemed like, this story seemed like a, a pretty big deal at first. 
but it turns out that the company, there's a university actually did a study, right? Okay. So they started getting lobsters high. They started getting baked before they got boiled. <laughs> I think it was in San Diego, wasn't right? It? They wanted to test it out, so they yeah. started getting. They, they, they modified a vape, and they were like, put for sixty minutes. They just had the vape constantly blowing in marijuana smoke to these lobsters, okay. and they said the lobsters' movement slowed down, but none of the it didn't impact it on any of the pain testing. So oh. the lobster could still feel all the pain. It but it was just a slower reaction, dude. My my so my wife like, and kids, dude, I feel like I'm boiling. They're, they're actually in Maine right now. Well, they were in Maine over the weekend. They oh. went down there, and uh, they were cooking some lobsters, and my six-year-old freaked out. Yeah, I bet he did. He's like, you're putting live animals in there? What's next? The dog? The cat? <laughs> you know? The, the parrot that's covered in curry? <laughs> the, the parrot, yeah. Who knows, man? Yeah, you have to douse the, par- the uh, seagulls in yeah. curry. is delicious. Hey, what other big news before we let you go? Uh, <laughs> Banff is on today. Freightways now is now two hours, so Freightways now every morning at 9 a.m., but what's on Banff? Oh, we got Banff. We got Kyle Lintner and Zach, as usual. We'll be yeah. talking about uh, Hotlanta, the Hotlanta market. We'll be breaking that down and how to benchmark, analyze, monitor, and forecast that market. And, of course, you can apply it to other markets. But what to look at now in this crazy time. Volatility is through the roof, my friend. It is, we haven't talked about rates on here in a while because it's been a dumpster fire, and it gets kind of boring talking about a dumpster fire, <laughs> remarkably enough. Uh, but what's the word? still elevated? still high? We're, oh, yeah. It's still high. Still but, and high. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Everything's a mess, and it's it ain't ending anytime soon. We'll tell you more about it on Wednesday. We'll do better next time where we're going to have Ryan Kepesey, founder of Fort X Logistics. We'll have Ryan Reynolds, director of Safety at Reliance Partners. Trent Broberg, CEO of Assetis, and John Calloway, president of LogX. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to be for the rest of the day. Peace and love, everyone. Spread it everywhere. 